And so they were there, and they were so disappointed. I can imagine uh, here a hot, dry uh, uh, land. Have you ever anticipated something to be really, really good? It turned out to be really, really bad. Sometime a vacation is like that. <laughs> you know, you think, oh, okay, we're going on vacation, pile in the car, woo, vacation time. And wherever you go, I don't know where you might go, maybe to Disney World or something, but you're going on vacation. And you get the car and the gun to Jersey Turnpike and the water pump goes out and it overheats. Oh, not what you wanted. Then you get that fixed and you go on the way. And then from the back seat, are we there yet? No, not yet. Are we almost there yet? No, not yet. He's bothering me. He's breathing my air. I'm, I'll never forget that when one of my boys was saying, complaining back to he's breathing my air. <laughs> and by the time that all that was, I just wish I was home. <laughs> what you thought would start off so good has so many problems and so many difficulties. Imagine the dreams they had. No more making brick without straw for those wicked Egyptians. No more losing our babies thrown to the crocodiles. Oh, this is going to be good. And the first thing they face, three days in the desert land without water. Very disappointed. The hope was built up and torn down, and they murmured. And sometimes I read this passage of Scripture and I feel a little embarrassed about myself because I see myself in that too. And murmuring and complaining. You ever complain to God how bad you have it? You ever complain to God how things happen to you? Why, God, why does this happen to me? God, why? That's usually, God, why me? Father came to me one time. He poured out series and series and series of problems and difficulties. And he looked at, preacher, why me? And I looked at him and says, why not you? What makes you different than anyone else? that troubles and trials shouldn't come into your life. That's part of living. Did not Jesus say, remember his words, in the world ye shall have what? Tribulation. Expect it, folks. But he didn't end the sentence there. But what did he say? I have overcome the world. I thank God we have a hope. So here they are out in the desert, hope built up and torn down. Now, why would God bring such a thing into their life? Why would God bring them out, no water, and then show them water that they couldn't drink? Was God teasing them? Was God playing a game with them? Uh, they didn't seem to understand it, and maybe we don't in our own mind either. But I believe the answer is always the same in all times and in all ages. Folks, let's understand this as we close out the old year and go into a new year. Your Christian character is built through the hardships and difficulties and disappointments that you face in life. Anybody can praise God on the mountaintop, right? I mean, things are going, you got your health, you have some wealth, things are going well. And go, oh, praise God, God is, God is so good. But what about when you face turmoil? What about when you get the layoff slip? What about when the doctor says, I have to tell you about something? Isn't it a shame that some Christians turn away from God when problems come, when we ought to be cleaving unto him? But I think our difficulty in life serves two things. First of all, problems and difficulties in life develops our dependence upon God. 
How dependent upon God are you tonight? Do you depend more on your Social Security check, your paycheck coming in, than you do in the Lord tonight? How much do we really depend on the Lord to see us through day by day all the troubles and, and, and difficulties that we have? You see, why avoid difficulties if it makes us dependent and realize, God, I need you. And you're never stronger than when you come to that point on your knees before God and say, God, I need you. And indeed, we do need the Lord. We need him for salvation, don't we? Or I mean, without the cross, where would we be? Without salvation, where would we be? But being saved is just the beginning. Because after we're saved, then we have another life to live. And that life is opposed by the flesh, the world, and the devil. And with many difficulties sometimes come. Bitter things are really for our good. Now, where else can we learn to depend upon God except through the bitter times of life when there's no one? Now, I, I love my wife. She, we, we have no secrets. She knows all my bank accounts, my password, my PIN. She could wipe me out like that. She knows my feelings, my desires, sometimes without me even saying a word. You know how that could be, husbands. Your wives could look at you, or husband, you look at you, what, what, what's the matter, honey? Nothing. Oh, don't lie to me. <laughs> but what about those times when even she couldn't understand what's in my heart? What about those times when it seems like no one understands except Jesus? And I say, Lord, stand by me now. I need you now more than ever. And the second thing I believe not, does, teaches us is not just our dependence upon God, but we learn that God can meet our emergencies. Have you ever thought of this? God never had an emergency? <laughs> I mean, it takes us by surprise, don't we? I mean, we wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and the furnace not on, <laughs> cold. It's, you weren't expecting that. That's an emergency. But God never has an emergency. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they disobeyed God and fell into sin, God didn't say, oh, no, now what am I going to do? I got to come up with a plan. Let me see. What can I do around here? No, God had already made the plan. That's why the Bible talks about Jesus slain, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. It didn't take God by surprise that man would disobey him. He knew that man would sin. He knew that man in his free will to be tempted there and of his own will. And it was Adam's choice to obey God or not to obey God. Just like it's your choice tonight to obey God or not obey God. The choice is yours. You can't blame anybody else. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame your wife. Can't blame your husband. Can't blame your parents. Can't blame your children. It is you and you alone that's responsible for the decisions that you make. But God had a plan. As somebody once said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? <laughs> nothing catches God by surprise. So if I go out and I have a flat tire in the garage, I look at that flat tire, I wasn't expecting that. But I could say, okay, Lord, you, 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 you knew, huh? <laughs> you knew that this would happen. 
and to know that God has a plan. And I don't always understand why things happen the way they do. And sometimes people come to me and say, Preacher, why did God allow this? And I don't have the answer to those. If I did, I'd be a very wise man indeed. But I know that God never makes a mistake and he's never unkind. I may not always understand and sometimes the hand of God can hurt. I understand that. And sometimes God doesn't show what he's going to do until it's time for him to show how he is going to work in our life. Every victory brings us to assurance. Now, faith is just like that. We talk about having faith in God. Now, faith is not a one-time capsule thing. Okay, faith, I got it. No, it ought to grow in your life. You ought to have a growing faith in your life. You had saving faith when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, but we also need living faith, don't we, day by day, and dependence faith upon God. And our faith ought to grow. Peter mentions this, that you may grow in grace and, and that our faith may expand itself. And faith is like a muscle. I look at these bodybuilders, you know, and everything, and they got muscles on top of their muscles, you know. And how do they get that? They exercise, lifting, pumping the iron, and how do they, yeah, they get stronger? That's how your faith gets stronger. The more you use it, the stronger it will become. If you never step out by faith and trust God, then you'll never have your faith grow to the potential that God wants it to be. Now, did not Jesus say, you remember it, so if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, shall say to this mountain, move hence, and it shall be removed. You say, well, I don't see anybody moving any mountains. You don't see anybody with that kind of faith. But as we even close out this year, can you look back and see how God honored your faith and brought you through some hard times? That gives me encouragement. Lord, if you did it in, in 2019, you could do it in 2020 as, as, as well. God never promised us a life without problems. <laughs> Somebody said, yeah, you know, there's a lot of turbulence in life. God says, yeah, I'm going to give you a safe landing in heaven, but you're going to have some turbulence along the way <laughs> to get there. But praise God, he has overcome the world. But there's something else here. Because we see they had this disappointment. They murmured to Moses. And Moses did the right thing. He turned his heart to God. And he cried. Unto the Lord. Look at the words carefully. He cried. He didn't say, hey, Lord, I don't know what to do with these people. They're kind of mad at me. And, oh, I mean, he cried. And uh, let me say this tonight. I've been in churches all across America. Churches in Europe. Churches in Asia, churches down in the Caribbean, you will never know the cries that a pastor has many times in his life for his people. Myself, as I pastored for those 12 years, I said, God, why don't they understand? God, why don't they get it? I cried unto God on their behalf. I wasn't mad at the people. I wasn't upset with them. But I cried. And that's not just a little, little prayer. Lord, help my people to see this. And God just touched her heart. I mean, cry to God. But God heard his cry. And notice in verse 25 what God did. And the Lord showed him a tray. 
Now, it wasn't a big oak tree, you know, with deep roots in the ground. I don't know how big of a tree it was, all that big of a tree, but it was there. And God said, Moses, you see that tree? Yeah, see it. We'll pull it up and throw it in the water. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lord, sure. The water's bitter and they can't drink it. Might as well be all muddy and twiggy too. So <laughs> didn't make any sense. And sometimes God will ask you to do something and humanly speaking in our own mind. It doesn't make sense. Some people don't understand the matter of giving and the matter of tithing. And they say, well, I can't pay my bills on 100% of my income. How am I going to pay it on 90% if I get? You don't understand God's promises that God is able to provide when you quit robbing him and giving to him in the tithes and in the offerings and in the missions giving of your church. And thank God for you. I see the board lit up with many, many lights all across the world. And as far as I could tell and I could look at that board, I could say that the sun never sets on, your, on the ministry of Harvest Baptist Church. Because right now it's dark here, but it's light in some of those parts of the area with, with our lights there tonight. But God says, look, just do it my way. Trust me. So Moses picked up the tree. He threw it into the water as God commanded him. Now notice what the Bible says. Which, when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Can I paint a picture that I see in my heart and in this patches of scripture tonight? I believe that tree could be a symbol of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when the bitterness of life overtakes us, Calvary covers it all. That when it's an impossible task, Calvary, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, can take the bitter things of life, the disappointments of life, and make something sweet come out of it. Some of the sweetest Christians I know will tell you stories of their life you would find hard to believe of the heartbreak and sorrow they had in life. And I stood by caskets of parents with little babies who had died in infancy and have them say, God is good. The sweetness of Calvary taking the bitterness of life away from us. That tree is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he could change our bitter lives. For many years, I haven't done it lately, and I've been on the road, and I had a ministry, as many of you know, at the truck stop there in Southington in Exit 28, Truck Stop of America, TNA. Hear truck drivers cussing and cursing and blaspheming. I would go up to them, tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they'd cuss me out. But I remember one truck driver had gotten saved. And after he got saved, he said to me, he says, you know what, Percher? I said, what's that, brother? He says, uh, my dog's going to have to learn a new vocabulary. <laughs> we had a fellow in our church that had gotten saved. He was a truck driver. Cuss, curse. And then he gave his heart to Jesus. 
And instead of the blasphemy and cussing and cursing and profanity out of his mouth came the sweet words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've known those that have had lives that were torn asunder and, and, and involved in bitterness, but because of Calvary, making them sweet before the throne of God. He showed him a tree. He showed him a tree there. And Moses listened. And Moses obeyed. And I'll tell you tonight, if you will listen and you will obey, you will find that Calvary bring sweetness to the bitter trials of life. As we look all through the scriptures in Romans chapter 5 where it says uh, there that God uh, gave his son for you and for me and that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Do you know how sweet that is tonight? No condemnation. Am I guilty of sin? Yes. Am I guilty of transgression? Yes. But I'm not condemned. I have received a pardon that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. What a wonderful picture this is here. He cried unto the Lord, and God heard their cry. But I want to close the service just a little uh, uh, in a moment, before I do, I just want to tell you that sometimes it's hard to lean on God. Sometimes it's hard to put our troubles, our trials, and our lives into God's hands. We say we do, but it's hard to let go of ourselves. Uh, I remember when, one day we had a football player played for Purdue University, uh, visited our church. He was a big guy. I mean, he'd take up two or three seats. <laughs> when he came, we had chairs. We didn't have pews. And man, he'd, he'd sit there and he was big, you know. And I had preached. And uh, he'd come down the aisle, this big guy. I was kind of worried of why he was coming. And he'd come down the aisle. He got near the front and I went down to meet him. He said, Pulcher, I can knock him down on the football field. But I can't fight God. I need Jesus. Now, in our church, we didn't have any place for counsel. You got a lot of space here, and we were just very, very, very small. And all we had was a door like that door there, and again, a door just like this over here. And actually, there were restrooms. What a terrible place to put restrooms. <laughs> But it was a building that wasn't ours. We didn't build it. We were renting it. And so we take, you know, what we got. But I never knew when folks were coming forward exactly why they were coming. <laughs> I remember one little girl. Her name was Tammy Lynn. She's a cute little thing. And at the invitation, she'd come down the aisle so briskly. And I stopped. I said, Tammy, why'd you come? She said, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I said, Tammy, you can't go now to this church service. You said if anybody had a need to come. And I have a need to go. <laughs> Go. We also use them as counseling rooms. <laughs> and when you want to get saved, it's bad enough. You don't care where you are. And so I fell in my church. I said, brother, would you take him to the back room there and uh, lead him to the Lord? He wants to get saved. Well, it was summertime. And you know how doors sometimes stick in the summer and they swell up. It's like the uh, could, guy couldn't get the door open. And so... Uh, you know, he's trying to get the door open and it's sticking. The football player says, I'll get it. And he gets that door and he breaks it off in his hand. I go, oh, Lord, get him saved fast. <laughs> and then he says, I'll get it. And he gets his hands and he, and he opens the door. He goes in and 
He comes out. He's a new creature in Christ. He got saved. He got born again. He says, listen, I'm going to be practicing up in the Springfield area, Massachusetts. I want you to come up and see my practice before the game. I said, okay, I'm glad to do that. I drove up there, drove around, found out where he was. And, and there he was, this big old football player, standing there and says, ready. And a guy just as big as he is goes running into him and boom, hits him in the temper. <laughs> Ready <laughs> two or three times. And I said, hey, buddy, come on. Does your elevator go all the way to the top floor? <laughs> I said, what are you doing and letting that guy hit you and knock you down? He said, Pucci, you don't understand. We've got a big game coming up. If I can't take it from him, I'm not going to be able to take it from the opponents. And this toughens me up. And you know what, folks? It's the same thing in our life with our troubles and our trials. They toughen us up as we lean on God. And we say, God, toughen me up uh, for it. But I want to just close out the message. Be patient than not. But there's something else here in this passage of Scripture, and this is the part of the message I really enjoy preaching. The last verse, verse 27. And they came to Elam where were 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Look at that passage. They came to, they did not stay in Myra, but they came to a place called Elam, and there were palm trees, 12 wells of water, uh, one for every tribe of Israel, or one for every month of the year, any way you want to look at it. And God says, don't worry. The end is going to be better than what you have right now. And isn't that true in our life? You see, they didn't camp in Myra. They were just passing through. What's the song that young people sing? And maybe we do too. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure is all laid up. Where? Come on. Somewhere beyond the blue. You say, uh, this world is in our home. Myra wasn't the place they camped out and stayed. That was just the time they went through. And God brought them through those bitter waters. And God brought them through that time. And God said, now, here's refreshing waters of Elam, 12 wells and, 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 and palm trees for you. And when I stop and think of that, I stop and think of what Jesus said in my father's house and many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told. Listen, if there was no heaven, Jesus would have said so. If there was no hell, Jesus would have said so. In my father's house and many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. But that's not the end. You know the rest of it. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's Elam, folks. Our Elam is coming. Right now, we're in Myra. <laughs> Troubles, bitter waters, difficulties. Thank God for Calvary that could see us through these times. But there will come a time, as we sung it tonight, I don't know whose favorite it was, but thank you, thank you for picking it. There is coming a day when all heartaches will cease. And one day, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. 
This old body's going to be changed. No more sickness, no more disease, no more pain, no sorrow. God shall wipe away every tear from their eye, the Bible says. The Bible tells us that heaven is a wonderful, wonderful place. We don't know a whole lot about it. Jesus taught more about hell than he did about heaven. But it's a beautiful place. No, our home is not down here. Does not the scripture say, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. I could not begin to explain or to show or to illustrate what heaven can be like. Now, I've been to some beautiful places of the world. I really have. And I've been to some place of a beautiful sunrise and a beautiful sunset and beautiful land. But what does that compare to glory? where there is no nighttime, for the Lamb of God is the light thereof. A place where preachers are out of business. <laughs> but so are undertakers. <laughs> and so are doctors. I told a fellow as a medical student, I said, someday you're going to be out of business. <laughs> because there'll be no sickness, no sorrow in that place. That's our Elam. But before we get to Elam, we have to go through Myra. That's where we are now, folks. But you're not alone in that honey place. You have the grace of God upon you. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that there's a God that's stronger than you? Aren't you glad that there's a God that knows what's going on and understands? Have you ever had a problem in your life, had difficulty, and you wanted to pray and you didn't have the words? And you come to the Lord, and I have it. I said, Lord, he understands that. He heard the cry of your heart. Because we have a God of our love and compassion. And that's why I can look forward to 2020. Because God has not changed. He is from everlasting to everlasting, sitting upon the throne of heaven. Now, some people want to heal them without the Myra. Don't happen that way, folks. Don't happen that way. And so, I want to encourage you. We close out this last Sunday of the year. I look forward to the new year with hope and anticipation that the same God that brought me through 2019 is going to see me through 2020. I don't know what lies ahead, but I know God is in control, and I know I can trust Him. 197, please, in your hymn book.